You are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. Last Sunday, we began a journey toward restoration, and Pastor Tom called us to restore in 2021 If you didn't pick up one of these last week, we do have some of these in the foyer. This is the little pamphlet that we're following, reading the book of Acts together, praying, fasting, giving, following the the voice of the Lord, and seeing restoration in our lives. Amen. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with restoration. I was trying to think about restorations, and I have maybe a little bit more with renovations than restorations. My childhood home that I was raised in, was originally built by Amish people. And when my parents bought that home and a few acres of land, they paid $9,500 for it. Yes. Yes. So it needed a lot of work to it. And we lived with a table saw in our kitchen for a long time. Uh, And my dad was amazing at taking on projects and crafting solutions, and he tore out the kitchen. Anybody ever lived with a kitchen gone? Oh, hallelujah. You can lose your salvation over your kitchen. (laughs) Um, He took a class on building kitchen cabinets, and he designed and built our entire kitchen in beautiful knotty pine cabinets. So I live with restoration. I remember one day, my dad was outside. He said to my mom, isn't this a weird pitch uh, in the roof of our house? This is weird that it has this pitch at the back and he went upstairs into our home and so he started knocking on walls trying to figure out why the roof was pitched that way and he tore a hole in the wall and found an entire room of our house that had been walled off and we didn't even know it was there and once they dug into that room they found arrowheads and coins And they actually found uh, pictures of African-American slaves. And apparently our home had been used as a home for the Underground Railroad as people were moving north. Yeah, hey, who knew? $9,500. And here we had a (laughs) historic home. Uh, When they finished that house and sold it, uh, my dad sold that house for $130,000. Well, I'm just saying, praise the Lord for renovation. (laughs) My dad was great. On... April 15th, 2019, the uh, members of the Calvary Academy will remember this day, a fire ripped through the 850-year-old Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Architects had proposed to rebuild the cathedral with a contemporary glass spire, a rooftop garden, and other modern touches, but French officials decided to restore it just the way it had stood before the fire. And work on the reconstruction plan that French President Emmanuel Macron approved in July of 2020 won't start until this year. Despite this, Macron still says he wants Notre Dame reopened in time for the 2024 Paris Olympics, even though experts familiar with medieval construction say it could take two decades to actually restore Notre Dame. French authorities have yet to finalize the budget. Do you have any idea what the budget is to restore Notre Dame? Right now, they're projecting $8 billion. Woo! Think about that for a minute. (laughs) What a home equity loan that would be (laughs) for restoration. Restoration takes time and investment, 
and I did some research on restoring antique furniture. Has anybody here ever restored any furniture? That's a craft all by itself. There's actually six steps to rest restoration. Safety is first. You have to work in a well-ventilated area, and you should wear gloves. You have to identify what the old finish is on the piece of furniture. Then you need to clean it and re-amalgamate it, which is to use a solvent to buff out the imperfections, strip it, and then you can finally refinish it. So antique furniture takes, uh, restoration takes a long time and patience. And today, what Pastor Tom called us to uh, last week was to restore. Amen. Everybody say restore. Psalm 51.12. I hope you've been working on it this week. He challenged us to memorize this verse. Restore. Why don't you say it with me? Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. We are called to restore prayer and fasting and Bible reading and giving. These are the foundational things which will rebuild our joy. I felt such a witness in my spirit and so much anticipation about the restoration of these things in my life because haven't we had a challenging, stripping, hard year behind us? And I'm, I'm trusting God that this will be a year of restoration. Amen. This past Wednesday night was a wonderful evening. If you weren't here, I challenge you to be here this coming Wednesday night. I don't know when I have felt better than to sit for an hour in the presence of the Lord. Worship chorus after worship chorus and prayer after prayer. It felt so good to just sit and worship together in the presence of the Lord. We're on a journey of restoration this year, and I invite you to come this Wednesday night to, to begin that, to restore. What does it mean to restore? It means to put or bring back into existence or use. To bring back to or put back into a former or original state. To put again in possession of something. And this morning I'd like to focus our attention on the first element that Pastor Tom called us to restore, and that is on prayer. When we consider these four things, prayer, fasting, Bible reading, and giving, we consider what it means to restore I'm believing that we as individuals and that the Calvary Church as a whole will bring these things back to existence or use in our lives and once again be in possession of them in the name of Jesus. We've been called to restore personal prayer in our lives. So what is prayer? Maybe you're new to prayer. It means to intervene. It means to pray, to meditate, to judge, to intercede. And the Bible opens with a story about prayer. It opens with a God who starts talking to us. Genesis 1 verse 3 starts just three verses in, and God said, and God begins to talk to his creation. God is verbal. He wants to get involved into our lives. And once man was created, then God started talking to him. Genesis 1 verse 28 says, and God said to the man, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it. So God began a dialogue of talking to man. That's what prayer is. It's us talking to God and God talking to us. It's this interaction between God and us. And this is how he began with creation. Along came Enoch in in Genesis chapter 5. And the Bible says that Enoch walked with God. And that word walked actually means to be conversant. It was as if Enoch was walking on the planet, not really knowing God, but saying, God, I know you're there. I want to talk to you. I want you involved in my life. That's what prayer is. Amen. 
10. Noah in chapter 6, God was talking to him. In Genesis chapter 12, God started speaking to Abraham, and Abraham was following God's direction. And in Genesis chapter 13, verse 4, it says, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. That word call, he meant he called out. He cried out. He proclaimed. He cried out for help. He invited God into his world. And that's what prayer is. It's this moment of reaching out for God, of calling out to him, saying, God, I need you in my life. Anybody feel that way? I need you to walk with me. I need you to help me. I need you involved in the everyday of my life. And that's what we're being called to restore. But in Genesis chapter 20, in Genesis chapter 15, then Abraham began a dialogue with God. It wasn't just Abraham calling out to God, but Genesis 15, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, This is my chance. Now I'm talking to God. Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? God, we're in a relationship here, and I need you at work in my life. And all of a sudden, prayer began to happen. Prayer was one man reaching out to God and God reaching back to that man. Chapter 20, Genesis chapter 20, verse 17. This is the first time that the word prayed is used in the Bible. And Abraham prayed unto God. He called out to God. He said, God, I need your help. And that began a line of people through the scriptures who prayed. Hannah prayed. Prayed. Samuel prayed. Gehazi prayed. Elisha prayed. Do you hear the theme here? Hezekiah prayed. Nehemiah prayed. Job prayed. Jeremiah prayed. And Jonah even prayed in the belly of a whale. Everybody was calling out to God. Why? Because we as humans need our spirits revived and we need God to get involved in our lives. Hallelujah. We see prayer mainly as a private act of personal discipline, and it is. It's personal. Prayer is personal. But I want to talk to you this morning about the plurality in prayer that we often overlook. Not only did people pray individually, but there's a strong show of people in the Bible who prayed together. And today I want to focus not only on personal prayer, but on the second element, and that's united prayer. You can trace the concept of united prayer through the Old Testament. Aaron and her prayed, and God answered them with victory. Elijah and the remnant of Israel prayed, and God answered with fire. Can you feel the uh, unity that happens when we pray, and all of a sudden God is coming on the scene? Esther called the Jews to united prayer and fasting, and God answered with deliverance. Daniel and his three friends prayed, and God answered with revelation. And Ezra and the people prayed, and God answered with his favor. There are many more examples I could give you of collective prayer, but what about this verse that you could probably quote with me? Second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, have you thought about that verse even this week? If my people, say it with me, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It wasn't just one person. He didn't say, and if my person who's called by my name, God was saying, come on, people, can you pray together? And oh, this week, my heart has been stirred to pray for our nation. If my people who are are called by my name is that you will humble themselves and pray then will I hear 
fire from heaven and heal their land. Oh God, let it be so in our nation. In the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. Oh, there's power in collective united prayer. When the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, he opened his instruction with a very important word. Luke eleven two, 2, and he said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father, not my Father, our Father. Jesus prayed privately mostly before he called his disciples, but after choosing his followers, he focused on praying together with them. Why? Because there's power in united prayer. There are 37 major verses of scripture where Jesus encourages us to pray. And in 34 of those verses, the pronouns used in the Greek language actually refer to a collective or a plural sense. Let me show you this verse. Matthew 7, verse 7 says, Ask, you know this verse, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Amen. But the Greek word in that verse actually means you all. You all, so let me read it for you again. You all ask, and it will be given to you all. Hallelujah. You all seek, and you all will find. You all knock, and it shall be open to you all. Do you sense the authority that comes when we bind together in united prayer? You all seek, and you will find. You all knock, and it will all be open to you. Oh, I'm hungry for somebody to link arms with me and pray and touch the throne of God and see God do what he said he would do. You all seek. You all knock. Hallelujah. You all ask and it will be open to you. Hallelujah. On the eve of Calvary, Jesus implored his followers to watch and pray with him. He said, please watch with me. Pray with me. And after his resurrection, he instructed them to tarry or wait and pray together until they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So once the apostles and the family of Jesus and many others who had seen him ascend into heaven and return to Jerusalem, this began a long history of united prayer in the early church. People prayed together. They prayed for each other. In Acts chapter 1, 120 people prayed in the upper room. And in Acts chapter 2, they prayed together, and then they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost together. Amen. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John were on their way to the temple for the hour of prayer, as they did every single day. And as they were on their way to the hour of prayer, the lame man was healed who had been lame for many years. In Acts chapter 4, they gathered together again in the upper room, back to the upper room to pray for courage because they had been attacked by the status quo and the place was shaken where they prayed. The Bible says they prayed until the place was literally shaken. Oh, is there power in united prayer? Yes, yes, there is. Oh God, restore it to us. Restore it to us. In Acts chapter 6, they gave themselves continually to prayer. In Acts chapter 8, Peter and John prayed together for Samaria. In Acts chapter 12, the Jerusalem church united in prayer for Simon Peter who was in prison and they prayed until the prison doors were miraculously open and Peter was released from prison. Why? Because the church was praying together. Hallelujah. In Acts chapter 13, the Antioch church had united prayer. God called Paul and Barnabas in that prayer meeting to the first missionary journey. The list could go on and on. Examples of how the early church united in prayer. They prayed privately, but united prayer was their model. It was powerful and productive. 
But what about us in America today? We live in an individualistic culture, don't we? Jean Getz explained the hallmark of Western civilization has been rugged, rugged individualism. Because of our philosophy of life, we're used to the personal pronouns I and me and my. We have not been taught to think in terms of we and our and us. Ken Gurley in his book on prayer said, Christianity suffers in Western Europe, in North America, and other areas where individualism is exalted over community. But united prayer was the hallmark of the New Testament church and has been the trademark of all revival movements and awakenings throughout history. No great awakening started without prayer. No revival happened without prayer. There's no incidents in the history of the world where an awakening happened where people had not already been praying. And doesn't our nation need revival? Oh, has this week in the news shook you up a little bit? It has me. Don't we need to be praying for God's will to be done in our country and in our world? Things are not as stable as we'd hoped. Isn't that the truth? And we're on the precipice of something. Where is the prayer to precede the revival? Where is the prayer that will precede the awakening? God, call us to it. Oh, in the name of Jesus, restore prayer. Restore it in me, God. Restore it in us. Hallelujah. God moves in response to prayer. J. Edwin Orr said, whenever God is ready to do something new with his church, he always sets them to praying. Oh, have you felt the call to pray? Jonathan Edwards, the notable leader of the Great Awakening, declared, revival is the action of God, but we can and we must pray it down. God has formed a partnership with us, with his church He has honored us and bound himself by our prayers. It's the standard measure of his working and his power. God cannot act if we do not pray. Because prayer opens the door for God's power to work in the earth. God cannot work until we pray. Luke 12, 2 says, When you pray, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where in heaven as it is on earth. We pull down the power and the kingdom of God. We pull it down in prayer. Why are we restoring prayer? Because God cannot work without prayer. Because prayer opens the door for God to act. Hallelujah. When Jesus was making his final statements to his followers in Mark chapter 16, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And verse 20, and they went out and they preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. He left, Jesus left the complete power, authority, and responsibility for seeing people experience salvation in our hands, in the hands of his followers. And prayer unleashes the promises of God. Oh, I'm trying to wake us this morning and call us to our restoration of prayer public prayer, private prayer, intercessory prayer. Why? When we pray, God can act. Hallelujah. Prayer brings healing.
healing. Prayer brings salvation. And as I was preparing this message, I once again prayed for Oxford. We're declaring a church to be planted in the city of Oxford. It will not happen without prayer laid into that city and God opening it for the gospel in the name of Jesus, in Jesus' name. Would you pray with me right now? Would you raise your voice right now? God, rebirth prayer in us. Open our hearts for a passion to pray. Oh God, wake us out, God, of that sleepy state we're in and bring us to a place of fervent prayer, prevailing prayer, prayer that produces shaking signs and miracles, prayer that unifies the church and restores your power. Oh, listen, all prayer is good, but united prayer is best because unity attracts God's blessing and his presence. Praying together is a lot like sharing a meal. It's true that the food would not be any less nourishing if a person ate separately, but breaking bread together feeds your spirit. And that's what prayer does when we pray together. Jesus compared the kingdom of heaven to a banquet rather than a table for two. Life's important experiences are meant to be shared. I want to share with you some benefits of how praying together will restore you. When you pray together, when we all pray together and we lift our voices together, actually more prayer is happening because we're all praying together. When you add your voice to mine, it's a collective voice that God is hearing of prayer. Praying together gives me a sense that I belong. When I pray with you, I sense this is my church. This is my family. And I am part of this body of Christ. On Tuesday, December 1st, my son Marcus became very ill. And by Friday, he had been diagnosed with COVID. His condition continued to get worse. And by Wednesday, December 9th, I was really fighting fear for his life. And I I believe that this COVID has attached with it a spirit of fear that we have to fight. On Wednesday and Thursday night, he was so ill that I was walking the floor praying for him, trying to decide if we were going to get him in the car and just take him to the ER. I did not know what else to do. And after several sleepless nights, I got up on December 10th, and I felt led to write out a prayer for him. And I took that, and I posted it in his room. I taped it to the wall of his bedroom. And every time I walked into the room to take care of him with a mask on, (laughs) I prayed the entire prayer. I stood at the foot of his bed and declared this over his body. But we felt isolated and alone as a family, and that's another part of COVID. (laughs) You feel very alone. And all of a sudden, I felt the Lord prompt me and say, send this prayer out to some people that you know will pray with you. Why? Because I I needed united prayer. I didn't feel like we could fight this alone. And so I just took a picture of this and texted it out to some people that would pray. And I said, just please call this for Marcus. Because there's power in united collective prayer. There's power when we link arms and we stand together. It's not because we're twisting God's arm and more people are praying so God will answer. It's that we position ourselves in a unified way to allow God to do what he has already planned to do. In Jesus' name. That, that evening, we called out to the Lord. It was the 11th of December. Marcus had had a fever for 11 straight days. 
And I want to give God the praise that after that day, his fever broke, and God has begun to restore Marcus. It's over a month now, but God is healing Marcus and restoring him. And that is something to be very thankful for. Oh, God. Why do we... Why do we shrink back and ask people to pray? Why are we afraid to reach out to other people and just say, just pray with me? There's so much power when we call out together in united prayer. Praying together helps my perspective. When I look at others and I sense their concern for me, I know I'm not alone. But when I see your need and I pray for you, then I am blessed when I go home. Praying together opens my heart to see the needs of other people. Prayer, both private and united, will restore you. Prayer will breathe new life into you. One of my favorite verses from the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5, says, verse 16, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Doesn't that sound like restoration? (laughs) To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man to be restored. It's the barrenness, the brokenness, and the emptiness all gone. I'm declaring that for myself and for you, for the Calvary Church in 2021, that we would be restored. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height. To know the love of God which passes knowledge that you may be filled and restored with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able, hallelujah, to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or even think according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm not only praying for restoration, I'm declaring it. How long have you gone where you felt like you're soul was so dry. How long have you gone without feeling that unction of the power of the Holy Ghost? I am declaring restoration. Hallelujah. Over this Calvary church in the name of Jesus. Oh, in Jesus name. So it starts with prayer. It starts with talking to God. It starts with linking arms with someone and praying with them. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. In the 1950s, Argentina was a spiritual wasteland. According to Dr. Edward Miller, a missionary who spent four decades in Argentina, there were only 600 spirit-filled believers in the entire country. It began with 50 students at the Argentine Bible Institute who developed an intense prayer burden for the nation of Argentina. Dr. Miller said he had never seen people weep so hard or pray so long. Day after day, they wept and prayed. After hours of intercession, students would literally be standing in their own puddle of tears. On the 50th day of around-the-clock intercession, there was a prophetic word. Weep no more, for the lion of the tribe of Judah hath prevailed over the prince of Argentina. And 18 months later, hundreds of thousands of Argentines were flocking to crusades at soccer stadiums. The largest stadiums seating 180,000 people weren't large enough to handle the crowds. 
Dr. Miller came to this conclusion. If God can get enough people in an area to reject the rulership and the dominion of Satan with humility and brokenness and in repentant intercession, then God can slap an eviction notice on the doorway of the ruling demonic power of that area. And when he does, then there is a light and glory that will come. Oh God, we stand together. The Calvary Church, come on. We stand together in united prayer, asking God to do everything that he said he would do. Every promise he's made, every soul he's already given us, we declare it in the name of Jesus. If we lay a foundation of prayer, God will build something spectacular on it. Calvary, we've been called to restoration, to the restoration of prayer in our lives personally and in our church. I want to share a favorite verse of scripture from Isaiah, Isaiah 58, 12. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. I began this morning with the story of the restoration of Notre Dame. I want to share with you something amazing about how experts are approaching the restoration. French officials are considering cleaning the inside surfaces of the cathedral with one of the newest technologies in art restoration, laser and light. The technique uses light to weed out contamination without chemicals or mechanical abrasion. They are working from bottom to top in different areas of cathedral with light. Dajanowski, who is overseeing the, la- the laser restoration work, he had gone to Notre Dame as a child with his father to see the gargoyles. And when the fire broke out, he said he feared that he would never be able to share Notre Dame with his own children someday. However, once he was able to get into the cathedral, he said, inside, honestly, I had a feeling of hope as soon as I walked in. And I'm not worried about it being brought back to its former glory because now there's light. Last week, Pastor Ellis mentioned that verse, the spirit of man is the candle of the Lord. Prayer will bring light and start the restoration in your spirit. And I am so ready for a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost in my life. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.